Hey, it's Mike McIntyre here on AM950. How are you doing on this fine May day? Middle of the month. It is awesome outside. We got awesome weather coming for the next few days. If you do not get outside, it is a sin. And I'm I'm not that religious. <laughs> Hey, welcome to the show. Thank you for listening uh, wherever you may be today. On the show, we're going to talk about a flap over a union endorsement on the DFL side for governor. One union says we've endorsed, but other members say they haven't. So we'll dig into that. And Tim Pawlenty, not coming to a Republican convention near you, he's not going to go to the Duluth convention and he's going straight to the primary. We'll talk about that. Also, Representative Nick Zerwas, uh, you've heard him before. He gets asked point blank, is his fraud bill really about Islamophobia? We'll listen to what he has to say. But first, supporters of gun violence protection laws, excuse me, prevention laws, thought that they would be holding a parade and rally in July in Excelsior. The group got preliminary approval from the city scheduler, and then something changed, and they were told no go. The city's mayor says he's concerned the event would overwhelm the fire and police department. Joining us is the event organizer, Tim Duff of Lake Minnetonka Living Liberally. Tim, welcome to the program. Thank you, Mike. Tell me what this event is, what what you're planning to do here, and then what's your reaction to what the, the city told you? Well, it, uh, we uh, I host a, a monthly event called Lake Minnetonka Living Liberally, and we uh, were very uh, a progressive group. We've interviewed all the the, the candidate, Democratic candidates for for uh, for the Minnesota House and to run against uh, Eric Paulson. And we're just thrilled to have such great candidates like like Dean Phillips and and uh, Nori Thomas and 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 Kelly Morrison. They're just great progressives. And in one of those meetings, I guess it was a month ago or so, we thought let's do something to really honor and support and continue the momentum for these wonderful students uh, all over the country, uh, unfortunately, um, uh, c- coming about with, with the Parkland, Florida uh, Valentine's Day shooting. Let's do something that we can show our support. And this was kind of the, the genesis of the thought of having a, a parade and rally in the Excelsior Commons. Um, and again, I'm a, I'm a director with the DFL out here, but the DFL doesn't have anything to do with it. Uh, they're supportive of it, of course, and our, and our candidates aren't directly involved with it either. It's just a group of us with Lake Minnetonka living liberally. So that's kind of the genesis of it, Mike. And then we, we met uh, uh, two Mondays ago with the police and fire to kind of work out the logistics of everything, uh, South Shore Police and, and, and Fire Department. And they thought every, they said everything was fine. And then the following Monday, the seventh, we met with the city council, and uh, um, we're really kind of shocked that they just shut the deal down. Um, so that's that, that's I can give you more background on it, but that's mm-hmm. that's kind of the the chronology of what happened. So you were shocked. You thought everything was going okay. Uh, the city manager, uh, Christy Luger, I'm reading here in the story about this, said that they didn't deny it for political yeah. reasons. Uh, they were concerned about the attendance getting out of control, uh, especially should a big-name politician draw people to Excelsior. Um, and they oh. didn't have any ticketing system or limiting the draw. I mean, they gave a, a bunch of reasons. What do you think about those reasons? Well, you know, and, and, and we were very supportive of the city council, uh, believe me. Uh, but I, I, I think that um, they're a bit specious because throughout the meeting, and I was the last person on the docket there, I think I came on at 7.15 and spoke and, and stated our, our goal, um, uh, and I, most of the council members were, were were pretty positive, I have to say, except the mayor, Mayor uh, Mark Gaylord, in the middle of it, just said, you know, I don't like this. And basically, the rest of the city council members acquiesced to, to his comment, and um, five minutes later, they un- unanimously uh, said, said no. And we even offered, because they asked, uh, would you forego the parade? And, and we were thinking just to have the students parade down 
Water Street in Excelsior, which is a very short street that would take at most 10, 20 minutes and then meet in the commons. And I said, fine, that would be great if, if that would work out well, because we, you know, understanding that they don't want to shut down Water Street to Excelsior business for that period of time. And I said, fine. So we continued to discuss it a little bit more. And then, and then uh, the mayor just abruptly said, no, I don't like this idea. And then shortly thereafter, they, they voted the thing down. Now, three to 5,000 people is not a burden for the city of Excelsior. The, the, uh, the sheriff of, uh, of South Shore Community Center said for 1st of July, they get over 10,000 people. I've been there for the Fourth um, so, of July. Yeah, it, it's it's quite a crowd down downtown for the Fourth of July. It's pretty orderly. There's a lot of people, but you know yeah. they, they they seem to handle it just fine. Uh, so, yeah. do you do you think yeah. that this was something other than just hey we're concerned about the event? Do you think it's because of the event is advocating against gun violence and perhaps the mayor just isn't on your side on that issue? Well, let me give you a background. It's interesting because I, I, I although we were surprised, you know, you 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 plan for the you hope for the best, plan for the worst. And I, in in putting this together, we contacted the uh, Excelsior Chamber of Commerce, and I know most of the people down there, and they're wonderful. And I called them and said, you know, we this is probably three and a half, four weeks ago now, Mike. I call, we called them and said, you know, we're planning to do this Lake Minnetonka March for Our Lives. We've been told that you guys know good event planners because the chamber has scheduled many of these events themselves. And the gal that I talked to on the phone was just, oh, that's such a great idea, Tim. Oh, that's, that's so wonderful. And I said, well, could you have your, your boss give me a call back and let me know who you guys have used for uh, event planners in the past? And she said, sure, I'll do that. Well, we never heard back. We never heard back from the Chamber of Commerce. And I wasn't too surprised. None of us were really surprised because, uh, you know, nationally, uh, and that, not to say they are locally, but nationally, and you know this, they're, they're, they, they have a pretty white right-wing bias. And, you know, ever since the Powell memo and the Chamber of Commerce, and you know what the Powell memo is all about, so there's an institutional bias there, nationally at least, to not really be, uh, you know, very liberal about issues. So I wasn't surprised when we did it when we didn't get a call back. But we moved ahead and got our event planner, Ultimate Events, out of out of Plymouth to move ahead with the deal. And we had all this formulated and and set up when we met with the police and fire that that approved it, uh, and then we kind of were backstabbed uh, at the council meeting. Um, so that's kind of the, kind of the background on it. And um, we're, I don't know if the issue is dead yet or moot mm-hmm. or if we've got a chance to go come back to them, but we hope to have a, a lot of people show up at the next council meeting, which is next Monday, March, uh, May 21st at six 30 um, to peacefully protest that, you know, we think our First Amendment rights were were inhibited, uh, free speech. Um, and, you know, they, uh, you know, I live in Tonka Bay. I love Excelsior. I, you know, I, I love all the people. They support Apple Day. They shut down Water Street for, for a full day for Apple Day in the, <laughs> in the fall. And they do the Fourth of July event. And they do uh, various other events where Water Street is shut down. So I just don't think there's enough precedent, in my opinion, and a few of our, our other people that are organizing this, and in, in our opinions, that that this makes sense to just arbitrarily say no to this deal. So that that's kind of our concern, and we we hope maybe they they may reconsider. I mean, we're we're doing this to show honor and, and tribute to the kids that have had the guts to stand up and say say no to the NRA and gun violence. And we think that's that's a pretty appropriate thing to celebrate and honor. We're speaking with Tim Duff. He's with uh, Lake Minnetonka Living Liberally. He's one of the organizers for the Lake Minnetonka March for Our Lives. You mentioned free speech. I mean, you know, when you think of free speech, you think of the ability to go down and get out a soapbox and say whatever you want to in the town square. That's not quite what this is. It's a little bit more 
expansive than that, but it's still kind of the same basic idea. Have you considered talking to somebody like the ACLU to see if they might get in, weigh in on your side here to help leverage uh, some attention against the uh, Excelsior City Council and the mayor? Yeah, we actually have done that, Mike, and uh, the ACLU is 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 very interested in it. Um, they have a history of of uh, of really standing up for for causes where it's been obvious that you know a group of people um, fearful of what might happen have have shut down the uh, the right of free speech. So, yeah, we are in touch with them and. Uh, Hopefully, some of their people will even be with us next Monday on the 21st. And and we we were going to have, and hopefully we still have, a lot of politicians who are going to be there to speak, not to patronize the kids by any means, but to show support and honor and, and keep the momentum going. You know, they had 18,000 people down at St. Paul, and and uh, we just want to continue that momentum and, and honor these kids. In fact, at our next... Lake Minnetonka Living Liberally meeting, which is this Thursday, the, the 17th at Hazelwood's restaurant from, from five to eight, we've got uh, Erin Quaid Murphy is, is our principal speaker. And she, of course, as you know, uh, was involved in the 24-hour sit-down to try to demand that the Republicans address this issue of gun violence. And at that meeting uh, on Thursday, again, uh, we're going to have students from the West West mm-hmm. Metro walkout group, high school students that have stood up in protest to the NRA and gun violence, and they're going to be there to speak too. So, you know, we're, 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 we're trying to, I guess, create some moral revival here and, and try to do the right thing, um, you know, and, and honor these, importantly, get, get this gun violence, uh, you know, deal with it. And, and as a lot of our people have said, you don't need a, you don't need a, a, a submachine gun to go pheasant hunting. And we're not trying to eliminate guns, but we're trying to do the right thing. And, and these kids have got the right idea and we want to support them. I want to talk a little bit about the gun issue, but let's just go back to your event here. You're obviously you're trying to yeah. get the city council to reconsider. You're trying to pressure. You're you're looking at uh, bringing the ACLU into the mix. I don't know what that means legally, but you're you're looking at a lot of different things. But are you looking at a plan B? Is there another place to hold this? Another place that might say, "Hey, we welcome you. Let's uh, let's go ahead and do this." Yeah, we do have a we do have a plan B. We're working on it right now. We've got a couple other spots where we can where we can do it on a much, probably a much lesser scale in terms of potential people gonna, gonna, gonna arrive, uh, gonna attend and speak. But we do have a, yeah, we do have a plan B. One of our, uh, one of our very active participants, a guy by the name, and he's mentioned in the article there, I think, Woody Love, and Woody is the past mayor of, of Shorewood, and he's been really great about stepping up as well. And, and and providing or at least looking into another venue for this deal if if in fact it doesn't work out at uh you know at, at, at in downtown excelsior so yeah we well, who knows we we think we got that covered there, there may be uh, somebody from a city that's around out in the lake minnetonka area that might want to step up and uh, and help you out there oh yeah so uh, yeah just, absolutely yeah absolutely so we're we're hoping we don't have to do that but if we do we'll we'll sure cover it uh i live in tonka bay and we've talked to the Tonka Bay City Council already about doing it at a at a place called Manitou Park, uh, just really down the street from from where we live here in, in in Tonka Bay. So, and we've got a couple other spots that we're looking at too. If, if the Excelsior deal doesn't work out, now, let's talk about the issue itself here because uh, there's been a lot of talk and a lot of marching since uh, you know the shootings earlier this year, and a lot of people have been yeah. calling for action. There hasn't been a lot of action. Do you feel like? this is just spitting in, into the wind nothing's going to happen here or what what's your hope for the outcome well we 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 certainly are hopeful at, at our at our last meeting for Lake Minnetonka living liberally we had Nancy Nord Bentz speak and and she is as you may or may not know uh, is the executive director of Protect Minnesota and Protect Minnesota mm-hmm. is one of our sponsoring groups um, for this event as, as well as the League of Women Voters and a few others, and I know I think she's her group is down at the state capitol right now as I speak. Yep. 
um, and will be for the rest of the week, to try to force the legislature, basically the Republican intransigence, to 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 get something done here with with gun violence. I think we just we just have to keep the pressure on until uh, until something is done, and and that's really our intent. We can't give up until we until we see some some action and in, in, in some something accomplished in the way of uh, in the way of eliminating and having background checks uh, on uh, on gun purchases. And you know, it's sad to say when when you when the when the issue the whole issue blossoms again after 17 kids and faculty are killed and you know in Parkland, Florida at the high school it's it's just it's just a tragic tragic event and we just want to make sure that that will never happen again and uh, the kids are so righteous that are standing up for this Mike that we just we just want to as adults parents we just want to honor them and pay tribute to them and, and, and keep the effort going. Yeah. And I mean, you mentioned, you know, we mentioned the big tragic shootings, but it's the little tragedies every day that happen because people who have guns, who shouldn't, who commit suicide, that uh, we yeah. should look at doing something about those numbers are enormous. And that's kind of the yeah. hidden crisis in, in the middle of all this. And that's also a, a bill that's on the legislature. Both of those, uh, those issues are pending down there. Nothing has happened with them. The Republicans are refusing to let them go no. forward, even though we've had 80 percent approval rating for you know background checks in in polls here in Minnesota. It's it it can't it, it again. People are going to have to do something, and it may be that they have to do something at the election. I I do want to mention for folks again who are tuning in, we're talking with Tim Duff. He's an organizer of an event that isn't happening and he hopes will happen out at uh, Excelsior. It's a March for Our Lives. It would be happening in July. And the city council is meeting on May 21st, the Excelsior City Council, May 21st, 6.30 p.m. Right. Tim is asking you to come on down and, and put some pressure on uh, on the city council and the mayor, who seem to be just a little bit hesitant about having people uh, show up in downtown Excelsior, maybe buy some food from the, from the local vendors and, and the restaurants and uh, participate in a parade. On, on a very important issue. So, uh, Tim, yep. I, I wish I wish you the best of luck with this, and please keep us informed of what happens next. Well, thank you, Mike, and we so appreciate what what you guys do there. And very sincerely, uh, we 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 wouldn't be the progressive group that we are without the good folks at AM nine fifty and Janet and Bill and Chad and and you and Matt. And we just appreciate so much what you guys do to to bring up these keep these issues alive and and be proactive along with us. Okay. Hey, Tim, thanks for uh, thanks for uh, giving us a call and spending your time with us today. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Take care. Okay. We're going to take a break here, but when we get back, the political news of the day, we've got lots of it from the governor's race. Who is uh, who's endorsed? Who isn't endorsed? Who's going to show up at the convention? Who isn't? All that kind of good stuff here next on the Mike McEntee Show. What's that? You can't find your bike? Oh, it has a flat. No problem. Take it to Nakoma Cycle, the hardest working bike shop in town. They're celebrating their 23rd year in business. In that time, they've mastered the art of friendly, dependable service. So keep life and your bike moving with Nakoma Cycle, working harder to make you go faster. Nakoma Cycle at the corner of 46th and Bloomington Avenue South in Minneapolis or at NakomaCycle.com. Brending Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. Stages Theatre Company is dedicated to creating a space where diverse opinions, courageous dialogue, and community engagement is not only valued, but vital to our shared artistic and educational success. Stages Theatre Company creates a welcoming home for all. 
For over 30 years, Stages has supported quality theater programming for children. Stages gives opportunities for youth to be on stage, backstage, in the audience, and in the classroom. Whether you come to see a show, enroll a young person in a workshop, or benefit from their outreach programs in the community, Stages brings art to life. Learn about Stages Theater by going to stagestheater.org and become part of the magic of live theater by taking your family to an amazing show or enrolling someone you love in an education program. Stages Theater Company operates out of the Hopkins Center for the Arts, located in Main Street in the heart of downtown Hopkins. For more information on Stages Theater, go to stagestheater.org. That's stagestheater.org. AM 950, it's the Mike McIntyre Show. Good to have you along with us. So, uh, endorsements uh, and uh, the governor's race. Tim Pawlenty. Tim Pawlenty, he said he wanted the endorsement of the Republican Party, but now maybe not so. He says he's not going to show his face at the Republican convention in Duluth. He's going to go straight to the August 14th primary. Uh, Jeff Johnson, who is the front runner when you take uh, plenty out of the mix, is seeking the endorsement, as well as uh, Woodbury Mayor Mary, Mary Giuliani Stevens and Navy Reserve Intelligence Officer Philip Parrish. Uh, they're all going to show up. But uh, Tempoletti, not so much. So the Republican convention, that was kind of the only real race that was in doubt of the marquee races. Uh, it's probably going to be a bit of a convention. The DFL is meeting in the same time in Rochester. They've got a contest going on for governor that is not uh, <laughs> not uh, going to be decided uh, very easily. Rebecca Otto, our state auditor, of course, is running. Tim Walls is running. Representative Aaron Murphy is running. Rebecca Otto today got the Progressive Caucus endorsement. That's a feather in her cap. Uh, Aaron Murphy got the SEIU endorsement, sort of. Um, Labor has been kind of waiting to weigh in on this, but uh, decided to uh, the SEIU, at least according to a press release from the union and from Aaron Murphy, that she was getting their endorsement. But two of the local SEIU units uh, dispute that. Uh, this was a press release that uh, came out. Uh, first, the first the press release from the SEIU said the Minnesota State Council, which brings together 50,000 working people across the state, announced today their endorsement of Representative Aaron Murphy for the governor of Minnesota. That's from the SEIU. But then the leaders of the SEI locals 26 and 284 uh, said that th that's not the case. They said local 284 members did not feel that SEIU should make a gubernatorial endorsement at this time. Uh, local 26 members preferred Congressman Tim Walls. So to resolve their disagreement, the three SEIUs, according to this statement, uh, agreed to a compromise to allow SEIU Healthcare Minnesota to endorse a candidate as a local. SEIU Healthcare Minnesota, according to this statement from the two locals, immediately violated that agreement and pushed through a state council endorsement for governor that they did not have the buy-in of the other two locals. Uh, they were, quote, lied to in order to ensure there would be a quorum at a meeting where a motion other than the one that had been agreed to be made. In other words, uh, not everybody's happy about this. Uh, so we've contacted SEIU for a clarification of what's happening and what's going on. We have not heard back. Now, you have, may have heard about the big investigative story that Fox 9 did the other day about uh, health care, excuse me, about uh, child care, I should say and alleged fraud that's been going on, the number $100 million being bantied about, that number not being correct, but Minnesota Republicans have been using that. And they introduced legislation today granting state regulators expanded power to investigate child care fraud. Um, and they say that illegally obtained funds may be going overseas to fund terrorist groups. Now, this was sponsored by uh, several Republicans, including Representative Nick Zerwas, and he would, his bill would allow the state to shut down a child care center if it doesn't cooperate with an investigation into fraud. And he says the child care dollars are being funneled overseas to fund terrorism. Now, you know that Minnesota has a large Somali community, many who are Representative Elon Omar's constituents. And yesterday she put out a statement that said vilifying an entire community, as stories like these often do, does not serve justice or get results. Uh, collaboration does. It is dangerous to draw a link between people sending remittances to their loved ones 
and the funding of terrorist organizations. Yes, a lot of Somalis who are in Minnesota do send money back to Somalia. She continues on, I know too well that many Republicans will use this as further Islamophobic rhetoric within our society. But I hope that Minnesotans will look past the politics of division and look forward to build strong relationships among new neighbors to find a unified path for our society. So with that as the background, Rick, uh, Nick Zeros was asked about that by WCCO-TV reporter Pat Kessler today. The representative Ilan Omar issued a statement yesterday. Among the uh, things she said was that Republicans will use this to further Islamophobic rhetoric. Is that what this is? I'm shocked. Well, I think, uh, I think the challenge is um, we need to respond uh, aggressively uh, to protecting uh, taxpayer dollars and the integrity of our public programs. Um, we do this with no ill intent or malice. We do this uh, because we feel uh, that it's the right thing to do. Um, I don't care where the money's going. If the money is being obtained fraudulently and being spent where it doesn't belong, that's a crime. But certainly, Pat, certainly, if this money is being used, taxpayer dollars are being used in any way, shape, or form to potentially benefit Al-Shabaab, a terrorist organization that's taken responsibility for bombings and mass shootings that have killed hundreds, um, we need to put an end to that. We absolutely need to put an end to that. Well, that sounds really scary. Uh, the Acting Human Services Commissioner Chuck Johnson says, though, that there's no evidence of fraudulent money being funneled overseas to fund terrorist groups in any of the criminal cases pursued by the DHS Inspector General since 2014. So raising that flag, is that Islamophobia? Yeah, it kind of sounds that way. Um, Johnson says that we are continuing to aggressively pursue fraud wherever we see the with these programs. He says, and wherever possible, we will shut down the child care centers that are responsible. So it sounds like it's already being taken care of. But for Nick Zerwas and the Republicans, this is another way to flame, uh, to fan the flames of Islamophobia, to possibly, uh, you know, juice up their base for the upcoming election. That's what this is about. Remember, folks, it's about the 2018 election. Hey, coming up uh, next, we're going to talk about a uh, propo- another pro- Republican proposal that's out there that may also have to do with the election. It sounds like a great idea. Hey, let's fund roads and bridges. But how we want to do it and what it might do to other funding is part of the problem. We'll get into that next year on The Mike McEntee Show. If I could find the right words to say to you to brighten up your day. It's home improvement season, and you know there's lots of projects to tackle. Here's one that won't break the budget. Get your carpet cleaned by Zero Res. If you have pets and kids banging around, you know your carpet needs some love. This month, get three rooms Zero Resified, starting at 139 bucks. Plus, this month, save $50 when you get your Air Ducts Zero Res clean. Call 952-ZERO-RES or visit ZeroResMN.com. Zero Res. Spell it backward or forward, it spells the same. Hello, fellow AM950 listeners. This is Jasher from Nightingale at 26 in Lindale. My wife and chef Carrie and I invite you to enjoy our local seasonal fair along with thoughtfully chosen wine and beer lists, a refreshing cocktail selection, and continued dedication to outstanding service. Nightingale's freshly remodeled patio is perfect for dinner, happy hour, brunch, and late night fun. We offer our full menu every day from 4 to 1 a.m. Two award-winning daily happy hours and weekend brunch at 10. More at nightingalempls.com. Kevin Ross here, inviting you to our brand new store called Ombibulous. What does Ombibulous mean? It means one who enjoys alcoholic beverages of all sorts. Ombibulous is a Minnesota maker's market. Unlike traditional liquor stores, we feature only craft beer, wine, and spirits made here in Minnesota. We are ready to guide your selections, where you can build your own four or six packs. Find us at 949 Hennepin Avenue East in Northeast Minneapolis or online at ombibulousmn.com. At Pride Institute, being LGBTQ plus is the norm, not the exception. 
Their highly trained and skilled staff understand your issues and will help you live a happy, healthy life as a proud LGBTQ plus person. They offer you hope to overcome your addiction and live the life you want. Their treatment programs are designed to assist you in developing the knowledge, skills, and attitudes for long-term recovery. Therapy groups include health education, LGBTQ issues, HIV and chronic illness, trauma, grief and loss, transgender support, nicotine recovery, education, and sexual health. Pride Institute offers a residential treatment program, a partial hospitalization program that includes day programming with lodging, and an intensive outpatient program. If you or someone in your life can benefit from guidance and coping skills, life balance, and other tools necessary for long-term recovery, check them out at pride-institute.com or call 800-547-7433 now. Hey, it's Mike McEntee back here on AM 950. The Minnesota legislature is starting to wind down. There are just seven days left, including today, uh, for the session. And so a lot of stuff is happening real, real fast. And uh, one of those things is that Minnesota lawmakers are considering a constitutional amendment that would divert some of the general fund sales tax money and mandate that it be spent on roads and bridges. It's an approach that transit supporters say is pitting transit needs against other essential needs, such as education, and neither will come out the winners. Joining us to talk about the proposed amendment is Transit for Livable Communities Executive Director Jessica Treat. Jessica, welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for having me. Good to have you on here. Now, the backers of this amendment, they're mostly Republicans, say this is needed because Minnesotans can't afford to raise the gas tax, and that's a large part of what pays for our roads, the rest, a lot of it coming from the federal government. Uh, when you hear that, what's your reaction to that? Um, I think we can afford to raise the gas tax and should. I think um, I think that transportation, our roads and bridges, and how well they're maintained, and the, and the transportation options that we need to move our um, our region and our state, I think, are critically important. I think Minnesotans agree with that, um, and I think um, I think that we we can and should um, increase that gas tax. I think we should, you know, I think we should take it to the people. Well, that's what they're proposing here: is to take it to the people and uh, have people vote on a constitutional amendment that would guarantee that a certain number of, uh, of dollars, I think it's a number of dollars, maybe it's a percentage, but it's a percentage. That's, it's a percentage of uh, certain, certain sales taxes would be going towards roads and bridges. Why is that a bad idea? Um, you know, the reason we think it's a bad idea is, first of all, it's not enough money. It doesn't solve the need that's there. It's kind of a drop in the bucket. Um, and so we're a little concerned that if um, if that were to go to people, then people go to the people and they would support it. Then there'd be this this um, impression that we'd solve the problem when we really haven't solved the problem. So we're concerned on that front. But then we're also concerned because it really takes money from the general fund and sort of locks it away for transportation, which we already do have a portion of the general fund locked away and dedicated to transportation. This takes more of it, and it really um, then keeps that money away from other, you know, um, needs in our state, like education, um, you know, health care, all those sorts of things that we need in our state and that our legislator, we hire, you know, we vote in our legislator to make those kind of decisions year to year, what are our priorities and what should our money general fund be spent on? And this would be kind of hampering them from, from doing that. Yeah. For those folks who don't know about 80% of the state general fund, uh, that's from your tax dollars goes to education and health needs. So, so you'd, you'd be cutting into that. And so that means one of those two or both of them would have to suffer either education or health care to, uh, to take care of this. And that, that's something that I, I don't think is really, um, when you take a look at what is going to be put before voters, they don't really, I don't think they're going to understand that that's the choice they're making. It just says, do you want this money spent on roads and bridges? And anybody who's had their car hit a pothole is going to say, well, of course I want to spend on roads and bridges because that's what I think government should do. So how do you get the message out there that something, this is not the best thing and that there is a cost when you do that? Yeah, I think you're right. It, that is challenging. And for our group, which is sort of people that um, want transportation options, but also recognize that, you know, buses and bikes 
operate on roads, and so we need well-maintained roads and bridges. We've, you know, I think it's a, a little bit of a harder um, message to get out to them. So what we've done is we've kind of joined forces with Education Minnesota, um, you know, so, you know, NAMI, um, and a various groups that care that that really feel like their needs would be um, jeopardized by this. We've joined forces with them, and we've now got a coalition of groups. Um, over fifty groups have signed on in opposition to this Constitution Amendment, and we're kind of, in some ways, letting them lead with that. With you know, because their members really get that, and they don't want to see less money available from the general fund from their for their needs. I think they also value transportation and transportation options. There's a lot of solidarity between us and some of these groups that their members need transit and biking and walking and need roads and bridges. And so I think they get that. Not that they don't think it's valuable. I think they just don't. They want to see increased money going and money going to that. Um, not, you know, not just sort of pitting needs against on, on what we don't have enough of already. Now, this reminds me very much of uh, the last constitutional amendments that we had on the ballot that uh, got a big fight. This is about five years ago. It was the voter ID amendment and the marriage amendment that I did a documentary on, by the way. And okay. both of those things polled really well. And I think this is this could be the case with this one. It could poll very well. But they were defeated after intense voter education. And the coalition that fought against them was, was pretty well funded. And it took a lot of effort, though. Is is your coalition ready for a fight? Do you have the money to do this? Um, you know, I think right now we are trying to focus the fight at the Capitol. Um, mm-hmm. But I think um, should this go onto the ballot, I think that would be the next question is how are we um, getting our getting our groups together and raising that money to do the voter education um, to sort of explain the other part of this? Because I think you're right that this polls well. It sort of seems common sense. Yeah, we've got issues with infrastructure in this state. We haven't done enough for transportation. We need to do that. But we would need to be out there um, explaining the other part of this and I think, um, you know, the groups would be committed to doing it um, should that need be there. At the Capitol, how does it look? Because uh, the Republicans, which are the, you know, it's the base that's supporting this, uh, have control of the House and Senate. Governor Dayton, as much as he would like to have a say in this, he cannot veto it, although he did veto the last constitutional amendment that did not stand up. So how, do, how does it look? Is it we've got a week here left? Is it uh, likely to get passed? Well, it's going to be on the floor of the House on Thursday, is my latest information. Um, and um, and you know, I I've you know, we're not sure that it's super likely, but we're you know, we are keeping the pressure on um, um, to let House um, House legislators know that this isn't a good idea. And um, us and our our coalition partners um, opposing this will be getting the word out that people need to reach out to their their um, legislators in the House and, and let them know that this isn't this isn't the, the way to solve transportation needs in the state. When you say super likely, super likely that it's going to get through or super likely that it's going to be defeated? Not, it's not, what I'm hearing is that it's not likely that it's going to get through. Um, okay. But, but that, you know, you know, we don't, we don't think that's a reason to, um, to sit back and be quiet. We want to keep the pressure on. Now, this, for me, when I look at it, this very much plays into the Republican narrative that the metro area gets all the transportation dollars and rural Minnesota is left to suffer, and this would somehow fix that. Can you address that? Um, from what I've heard, and I don't know, you know all the particulars on the numbers, but this is a, this is a small portion of the, the need that's out there. Um, it's not really going to, when it comes down to it, when it gets spread out amongst the various you know, counties that need funding, it's going to be a very small amount of money. Um, it's not going to be enough to, you know, fill but a, a few potholes. I mean, it's just not, it's just not enough money overall. So, um, you know, again, we feel like, you know, we can be in solidarity with the people that want to um, maintain our roads and bridges. We get that, but we'd like to go in for a comprehensive solution that gets us the, the level funding levels we need and is, is multimodal as well. It's not just about roads and bridges, but it's about transit and biking and walking, which are important options. And those options, that is what this seems to be about in a way. It seems to be playing those options off against each other. It seems to be saying, and again, this is the subtext to all of this. This is the politics of it, is that, you know, we need to fund roads and bridges because 
all those things like, uh, you know, trains, you know, or as the Republicans like to recall them, the choo-choo trains are getting all this money. We just heard today that Southwest Light Rail is going to cost more than, again, more than expected. And really the smart thing to do is be putting it into roads right now because that, it, more lanes will fix everything. Can't you just, I mean, there's there's a big sign down here on 494 yeah. by Best Buy's headquarters saying, congested, well, it's, you need more lanes. That'll fix it. We know that's not the case, though. Yeah, I actually was just driving out to my parents in Bloomington um, over the weekend, and I saw that sign myself. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, studies show that you build more lanes and they just fill up. It just tends to induce more driving and they fill up. And so as soon as you've gotten the land you need and you spend all those billions of dollars to, to widen that highway, you know, it just is going to fill up with more, more drivers. Um, I think, you know, the region has a good plan for investing in transit um, where in those corridors that are, are needed, where there's good job density and, um, and bringing people in and, uh, you know, and connect people to jobs. I think our region has a good plan, be it, you know, by building out the light rail, um, adding in bus rapid transit and expand, you know, and, and better service in our regular route bus service. Um, and then, you know, complementing that with um, biking and walking connections. I think we've got a good plan and that makes sense for this region and we're the economic engine for the state. But that's not to say that transit isn't needed in greater Minnesota. It is. Um, there are, you know, there are people that need transit in greater Minnesota and that is underfunded. Those systems are underfunded. Um, so I think it's disingenuous to say that, you know, transit's a, a metro issue and, and therefore we shouldn't fund it. We should just do the, the roads and bridges. You're totally right that it's been a huge political, um, it's been, you know, it's a, it's been politically divisive. And I think it, that rhetoric has has been able to um, sort of pit greater Minnesota against um, the metro area. And I just think it's a false narrative that we need to um, push back against. We need options. They look different in every part of the state. Um, and we, and we, you know, we, we, we need to invest in that. We need to invest in transportation options across the state and figure out how that, what's appropriate at the, in the different communities. Yeah, I, I think of transit being often crippled. Uh, you know, not reaching its full potential. I, I look at North Star, uh, which the line originally was supposed to go to St. Cloud. That would have been a great line because you've got that that corridor from St. Cloud to the Twin Cities where there's you know, obviously a lot of traffic every day that could be taken off of 94 and other other you know places. And that it was cut in the middle. You know, it, it <laughs> you have to drive halfway to get there. We've had discussions about having a zip line and we've had, you know, legislators in you know in the Rochester area say we absolutely do not want a zip line that would, you know, basically a higher speed rail that would go someplace because of whatever reason, because we just don't like light rail. And so all these things get kneecapped. And so a lot of projects that could get federal dollars or that could move along very quickly have been struggling to get through, you know, for a lot of different reasons, but a lot of it is political opposition. Is there a way yeah. to somehow move that aside to to ease, especially the voters, their minds, and say, this is going to work for all of us? Because I think it bo basically boils down to is we're tribal. We think, well, somebody else is going to get something, and I'm not going to get anything out of this. So when you start talking to people who are in the suburbs, who are in outstate, how do you talk about transit in a way that they're going to benefit um, from it? You know, I think... We really try to lead with that transportation options framing, um, and like I was just saying, you know, we need those options across the state. They look different everywhere. Um, this isn't about pitting one community against another. Um, mm -hmm. I do think, um, I it just for some reason in Minnesota, it's well. I think the I think they've this, they've figured out that is that is a successful way to win elections to sort of go into Greater Minnesota and say these guys just want to give you more trains we don't need trains so vote for us I think that's worked here for like ten years and it's, what's weird is in other states red states they are investing in transportation options they're raising their gas taxes and so for for years it's just been it's worked here it's a rhetoric that's played well at the polls and and a, we. We need to, as a, as a statewide advocacy group, um, TLC sees our role in, you know, getting out there, having those conversations with people in suburbia and greater Minnesota to have that conversation about why options are needed and how they look different across the state and how this isn't an us or them conversation um, so that we can then go, we can then, you know, elect 
we can then elect people that care about transportation on a, in a, and define it more broadly than just roads and bridges, and that we can you know, elect those kind of people to represent us. And then when they're, when they're there, we can make sure we remind them what the need is. Um, I mean, that's really that's the work we see that we need to do as a, as a statewide advocacy group, and that's work that we are engaging in. So is it possible, I mean, you're saying it's not likely that this gets on the ballot, but let's say just for the moment, for discussion's sake, it does. Could this force the conversation about transportation that could be a turning point for Minnesota, much like the marriage amendment forced the the conversation about that and ended up being a turning point here in Minnesota on that issue? Perhaps. It could be, um, but a lot of people would have to spend a lot of money to have that conversation. Um, if we don't have to spend that kind of money, I think, and we can still have that conversation, I would like to have it. Um, you know, maybe just the fact that it doesn't get there would be open up a conversation. But yeah, I think I think if it were to get there, I think it could it could give the opportunity to have those kind of conversations to really get serious about the the new money that we need to invest in transportation options statewide. Well said. Jessica Treat is the executive director over at TLC Minnesota. You can find more about the organization over at tlcminnesota.org. Uh, Jessica, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. All right, folks, we're going to take a break here. And when we get back, we've got, um, oh, what do we got? We've got more politics. I know. I know we always have more politics, but uh, oh, we'll get into a preemption bill. Arrests that were made about that you may have not heard about. Uh, more of that and other stories here next on the Mike McEntee Show. Dismiss me out of hand, the struggle of a man, the struggle of a man. This is Dan Brooks, Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor with RBC Wealth Management. For the past 19 years, I've been managing wealth for individuals, institutions, and corporate retirement plan sponsors. Throughout my career, I've seen common traits in successful investors. They include the courage to be diversified, the willingness to work with a professional, the discipline to follow a plan, and patience. I welcome the opportunity to help contribute to your financial success. Call me at 612-371-2396. Hello, this is Ellen Krug with Hidden Edges Radio on Sundays from 1 to 2 p.m. My show touches people's hearts. I hear from Twin Cities listeners and thanks to podcasts from listeners across the country that the subjects I tackle, like our commonalities and our collective struggle to survive the human condition, really resonate. Join me this Sunday from 1 to 2 p.m. on AM 950. Maybe, just maybe, I'll touch your heart too. Hello, AM 950 listeners. I am Tabitha Montgomery, Executive Director of Powderhorn Park Neighborhood Association, taking a moment to extend a very warm invitation to our first annual Powderhorn Shark Tank competition, where our stellar panel of jurors have already selected several dozen amazing ideas from local makers, hustlers, and entrepreneurs from across Minneapolis. So mark your calendars for Saturday, May 19th, between 2.30 p.m. and 6 p.m. at Powderhorn Park Recreation Center, where you can join the fun and cast your vote for your favorite ideas across our expanding, emerging, and startup categories. You can also plan to enjoy the Shark Tank Marketplace, which will be stocked with many local businesses and also connect with a dozen or so business resources in our speed coaching zone if you're also working on your own big idea. See you on Saturday, May 19th. Welcome back to the Mike McAfee Show. Hunter Hawes is at the controls here today. Uh, Brett Johnson's doing the producing. Thank you guys both for making the show happen. Uh, a story I wanted to talk about that um, you may not have heard about. In fact, it's been very little noticed this session. It's the preemption bill that would uh, prevent local, uh, you know, local governments from raising the minimum wage. It was uh, vetoed by Governor Dayton last year, but it still could come back. So the Poor People's Campaign, that's something that was started 50 years ago by uh, Dr. Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., uh, took action against it yesterday. Thirteen people protesting a preemption bill were arrested at the state office building near the state capitol. It was uh, kicking off a nationwide six-week 
six-week season, I should say, of nonviolent direct action by the Poor People's Campaign. And this is what it sounded like. Now, uh, that was, uh, th- those arrests were made outside, or actually in Representative Pat Garofalo's office. He is the author of House File 600, which is the preemption bill. Now, um, yesterday, I should say Friday, Jack Rice and I discussed the unusual race for uh, U.S. Senate in Minnesota. Uh, it is, uh, it, it is uh, unusual because we have a Republican who is running as a DFL candidate, uh, that is uh, Richard Painter. And one caller who called uh, was very skeptical and didn't get on the air, but was very skeptical about Richard Painter as a DFL candidate for U.S. Senate. Regarding the candidate Painter, who is going to run as a DFL candidate, even though he's been a longtime Republican, this is our latest tactic. I call it the Trojan horse candidate. He's going to get in, if he gets in, and he will do all Republican business. Republicans cannot win without cheating. That's why they strike people off the voter rolls. This is why they do all that they do. They know they can't win with true democracy, so they're doing everything they can to undermine it. This is the latest tactic. He'll get in. He'll do nothing but Republican business. We should have nothing to do with him. You need somebody like Bernie Sanders who has consistently upheld the values he upholds. That's it. If these people have not those values and are suddenly switching, you should be suspicious. Thanks. Bye. Of course, uh, our caller, uh, and it didn't get her name, mentioned Bernie Sanders. Remember, Bernie Sanders was not a Democrat until he ran for president. He did caucus with them, but he was a self-identified independent. Richard Painter, though, has identified himself as a Republican up until he decided that he was going to run as a DFL candidate for the U.S. Senate. Now, another listener, Joe, emailed us during that discussion on Friday. And by the way, you can do that anytime you want at comment at am950radio.com. And he said uh, Painter might lose some Dems, but he might gain some Republican voters. So um, and he thought, is you know bringing some Republicans to the Democratic fold might be a good idea. So a reminder, if you hear something that you know, on the show and you're driving and you don't want to pick up the phone and you, you shouldn't, you shouldn't, you shouldn't pick up the phone while you're driving. There's actually a bill in our legislature that's uh, going to try to make that illegal. Um, that bill, by the way, we just found out today, uh, probably not going to go anywhere. The Senate, excuse me, the House version was uh, derailed. So uh, that bill is probably not going to get through the House and Senate this time. But when you get home, you can pick up the phone after the show. Maybe you've missed a discussion and you can call us at 952-946-6205 and leave a comment and we'll play it back here on the next day. Or you can email the show as I said, at comment at am950radio.com. We always like to hear from our listeners, and we do like to hear what you have to say. A, a reminder, uh, and I've mentioned this the last couple of days, but I want to uh, tell you again that the uptake, which I'm the executive director for, is holding some classes on things you probably would like to learn if your group, your political group, your organization is trying to get its message out there. If you want to learn how to live stream, you want to learn how to do audio better, podcasting, you want to learn how to do photographs, you want to learn how to write better, we're doing classes in June on Saturdays. So uh, go over to theuptake.org slash classes and you can sign up for those. There's a charge, but we've got some discounts for students and low-income people. So uh, uptake.org, theuptake.org slash classes. That's it for today's show. I'm Mike McEntee. We'll see you tomorrow.